Today is nine years, and man, it is crazy to think back. I'm not going to spend a ton of time, but I can tell you nine years ago, the actual date was Friday. Um, we started a church with absolutely no clue what we were doing. And today, we just know that we don't know what we're doing. And then, <laughs> we probably didn't, but it's amazing. It really is um, a miracle of what God's done up till this point. And I honestly believe that he's just getting started. But I was asking the Lord, do you want me to just move on to a new series that we're going to start next week on prayer. Do you want me to just start a new series? Because that's cool and it can start. And our kids started an amazing at the movie series today and we're excited about that. Super excited. And so let me start a new one. And I just really felt as I was praying, I was supposed to preach a different kind of message. And I really felt like the message I was supposed to preach today was called the ninth hour. Someone say ninth. ninth. The ninth hour. So it's going to tie in with our ninth birthday celebration, and I actually brought this box up. This box is <laughs> so funny. I broke it, first service. It has everything from our first year in it. I mean, it's got, like, you wouldn't believe some of the stuff. This is our very first offering envelopes. I mean, look at that. That is nice. It's got, it's got the first uh, invite cards. It's got, the, it's got our first checkbook. It's got... I mean, it's got everything. It is unbelievable. Our very first postcards. And like this, it's, um, it's so cool. I'm not going to go through it all because I could take the next 30 minutes and start getting emotional about that. And I'm really not today, but I'm, I am grateful. But it, it is pretty special, all that God's done. And I knew he wanted me to do a vision type series or message, excuse me, on this ninth day that, or ninth anniversary that we're celebrating. But then specifically, I felt like it wasn't just who we are and what we're about, but the hour that it is. And I, and I really think it's going to make a lot of sense. I'm super excited about it. But I want to say this as a front-end warning. All right? When I'm looking around, I'm not too nervous, honestly, because this group, I feel like, is going to be able to handle it. And I feel like y'all might talk to me a little better in the first. There was crickets at times in the first service because they were like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. I need y'all to know, I have convictions and I have passions. But I want y'all to also know that I have conviction and passion that supersedes any of my natural belief systems. And what my political back, backing is, and what my social beliefs are, and who my favorite teams are, because I do really joke about that. And I can want my team to win, but it doesn't supersede that Jesus is Lord, and he sits on a throne. And this ninth hour is important. It's very important. Matter of fact, in the Bible times, this is what the ninth hour was. I never knew this, so if y'all don't learn anything today, maybe you'll know this. Because I've always heard evening and morning, and he prayed. In Daniel, especially, we learned he prayed morning and noon and night. And I always thought, sweet, he got up at 6 a.m. and prayed, and then he prayed at 10 p.m. when it got dark, right? Y'all with me? Y'all thought it too. Don't, don't, don't be lying. Y'all thought it. When it was dark, this is what it meant. It was actually 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m., or the third hour, sixth hour, and ninth hour that they prayed. It was the three hours of Jewish prayer. And almost every Jewish person who loved God would stop whatever they were doing, and they would pray three times a day. They would pray at 9, noon, and 3. That was the evening hour, the midday hour, and the morning hour. I never knew that. thought it was pretty cool. And then there's specific things to these prayers that I thought was super interesting 
the specific things to what you're supposed to pray and what you're supposed to do. And this ninth hour, someone say ninth hour. This ninth hour was important because it represented the prayer of repentance and sacrifice. It was when the Passover lamb was slain. Every Passover season, it was the atoning sacrifice time. It was the last one, and it was where all sin was brought before God. So there were certain things that you brought, but this one specifically was a turning, a repenting, a change direction prayer. It was, it was to get in line with God. It was the rest of the day and to lead me to the next day prayer. Well, metaphorically, I want you all to know that I believe that this day is about to end. That this day that we've been in is about to end. That, that we're going to shift and follow what God's called us to do. But in order to do that, we got to know, well, what are we supposed to do then? What are we about? And here's what I feel really encouraged and excited about is I don't think the mission and purpose and how we do it is supposed to change. I just think the urgency in which we're looking at it maybe is supposed to change. But I want you all to know if you're guests who we are. So as we go into this thing saying we're about to enter the ninth hour and it started and now we're operating in it, this is who we are. This is the four-point stance. You can find it on our website in the About page. But these are the four things that we identified not as what we want to be but who we are. What is our DNA? We love like crazy. This, this message is really could be called a we love like crazy message. So I'm going to explain it more as we go, but I'm going to tell you what this means briefly. It means we love everybody. Someone say everybody. 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 I said it, but y'all didn't hear me. Everybody, 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 not some of the bodies, as long as they agree with me on Facebook. We'll just keep going because some of y'all missed it. We love like crazy. Matter of fact, I believe we're a loving people. I love to see it. <laughs> I said love again. You're welcome. I, I really enjoy seeing it, and, and it makes my heart full when I see people hanging out together, and it's not just small group relatedness. Anyway, I think it's awesome. But it encourages me the diversity of the love. And I'm not going, I'm, I'm about to preach my whole message and ruin it. So I'm going to keep going, but I just need y'all to know, watch yourself. And if you find yourself having a difficulty loving someone that doesn't think like you, then you're not loving like Jesus. The filter that I love through will be the expression that people experience Jesus through. And if I express Jesus as a European, Anglo, white Christian who is Republican or who is whatever you assume that I am, then I must be careful because now all of a sudden Jesus must be white, European, and Republican. Let me help you. Look at my face. No. What? Jewish Jesus weren't white. Okay? I know some of y'all are disappointed. Santa's white. Jesus must be white. You're wrong. Okay? I still love you. How old are y'all? Santa ain't real. And Jesus was Jewish. So all of y'all are disappointed. Right? I was like, oh, God, help us. Somebody's going to get mad at me. Daddy, Mark said Santa's not real. <laughs> help us, Lord. We got mascots out there. Go see them. Way off my message. Let's keep going. We believe God. Let me simplify, simply tell you what we believe God means is if God says it, we're about it, and we'll do it. And it means we'll be radically obedient and do it. Which ties into open-handed. We're, we're open-handed people, meaning what's, what's mine truly is yours. Does that mean I want you to live in my house? It does not. Okay, sometimes I love you. 
just want you to know, before I say what I'm about to say, I love you. But sometimes I wish we could annex the upstairs from the downstairs, if y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm just playing, though, mostly. 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 But, but the open-handedness is this. It's the belief that as a people, everything that I own belongs to God. And so whatever he asks for, it's his anyway. So we'll give it. And we'll give it as a body. We'll give it as a church. Not just you giving to us. Not just you giving to others. But us giving. We constantly live like this. I believe as soon as you close your fist, you push out the Holy Spirit. So we're keeping it open so he operates. And then the last one is we do life together. And I, I can't even emphasize the importance of this enough. Especially during this pandemic season, right? Because being isolated is the most natural thing you can possibly do. And then not sharing your burdens with one another. And not also sharing your sin. Matter of fact, I just thought uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says that I'm supposed to throw off the sin and things that entangle me and fix my eyes on Jesus. And I think a lot of times my challenge of that is I tell Jesus I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to struggle in that anymore. I don't want that to have me anymore. But I don't have a brother in my case or a sister in your cases, some of you to be able to share my burden with and let them pick it up when I'm not strong enough to pick it up. He is strong when I am weak, but I believe my brothers are supposed to be strong when I'm weak as well. And if I have to look strong to you all the time, it means I don't have a brotherhood. I have something fake. We're not about it. We do life together. Isolation is hell. For all of eternity, it's solitary confinement and weeping and gnashing of teeth in outer darkness. It doesn't have to happen here and now for us. And the last thing about doing life together that I believe is this, and this is just theological stuff I'm throwing at you, so get ready to take notes, but this isn't it yet, right? I believe a lot of people don't get healed because they ask God for healing, but they don't follow the instructions that James 5 gives us, which is confess yourself one to another. Confess your sins one to another. Listen, I believe God forgives your soul, forgives. Someone say forgives. But it's through unity in the body as we confess to each other that I believe the Holy Spirit then heals. So I don't believe these have magic powers, but I believe he does. And if we do it his way, a lot more healings would take place. And matter of fact, let me say this. I believe a lot of people need healing of their soul before they need healing of their, of their hurt. And if your soul has remained hurt, it's because you don't do life together, honestly. You may be getting together with people, but you talk religious talk. I'm going to keep going because it's equal opportunity offense in this place right now. But this is why we exist. We exist to reach the least lost and lonely with the gospel, and this message is about that. That is everybody. There are tens and tens of thousands of people moving to the substate, and when I talk to people who find out where we are, they say, oh, my gosh, that's the place I would circle on a map and go to because everything's coming here. And I said, I agree. And in 2011, this was still sugar tit. Are y'all with me? It was. I'm telling the truth. But it, it's coming. And I bet you 10 years from now, and then 10 years past that, we're going to look and say, woof, look at it now. And he's planted us on purpose for the right time right now. And it's the ninth hour. Someone say ninth hour. It's the ninth hour right now. So listen, and I'm about to go. Acts chapter 10, I'm about to jump in. But I need y'all to know this. Everybody, 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 everybody is welcomed by the gospel of Jesus. 
It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter your background. Everyone, 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 everyone is welcome. Matter of fact, Jesus said this. I'll use his words. I came to seek and to save the lost. Guess who's lost? Anyone that ain't found. Everybody. It's for everybody. And Peter had this encounter that I'm about to read with you, and I think it's so interesting because he was shocked that it's for everyone. That the least lost and lonely include everyone that votes like me and everyone that doesn't. Everyone that thinks like me and everyone that doesn't. Everyone that looks like me and everyone that doesn't. It's everybody. It's everyone. It's always everybody. Jesus is for them. Now watch. It is, all, it is inclusive, but it is also exclusive. What do you mean? It means if you don't receive him, you don't get in. But everybody's invited. This is not a only you because I picked you are invited in. This is everybody gets the invitation, but only if you accept the invitation do you get to be a part of the family in the kingdom of God. So it's both inclusive and exclusive. And you get to decide if you want to be a part. But what you've got to be a part of is not just the get out of hell free ticket, but also the your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven part. And that's what we're about. That's what we're doing. We don't just believe you're supposed to get saved and then go about doing your merry way, but you're supposed to trust Jesus, follow him, and then bring heaven to earth. And that's what we're about. So watch this. Acts chapter 10. I love this story so much. I think it's so cool. It says, at Caesarea, which I've gotten to go to five times, and some of y'all are going to get to go to with me, and it's really cool, and it's the oldest, by the way. Caesarea has the oldest water filtration, or not filtration, but water pump system in the world. It's the first time water, fresh water was ever, ever taken from one place to another successfully by King Herod. It's really cool. You can see it. And then it's pretty on the Mediterranean. Praise the Lord. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion who is Roman, who was a leader of the other Romans, centurion. And what was known as the Italian cohort, a, dev, a devout man who feared God with all his household and gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. Pause. This is super important. He did not know God at the time. He did not have a relationship with Jesus, excuse me, had not trusted Jesus as Lord at the time, but he still prayed and he still gave. I don't know if y'all know this, but you can pray and you can give and you can not be saved because it's only by trusting Jesus as Lord that you get in. Are y'all okay? And so this man, God heard him. He, he did it. He operated, but he didn't have a relationship. Now, I want to show y'all a map to show you all these two things. This is where Caesarea is. You can still go to it today. Joppa's not listed today. It's, a, it's, a, it's actually called Jaffa on some maps, which is Tel Aviv. So you fly into Israel, you're going to fly into this. You're going to be right beside. You can walk to Simon the Tanner's house from our hotel that's in this story. And then it's about 30 miles north that you have to drive to get to Caesarea. And so this is where this whole story is taking place. And it says, about the ninth hour. Someone say ninth hour. It's interesting that that is mentioned. About the ninth hour of the day, Cornelius clearly saw in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, who, who, what? What just happened? I was minding my own business. An angel came. This is crazy. Oh, my God. He said, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended memorial before God. I think that's so cool. That's a whole message. I'm going to keep going. And now send men. So he's telling them, you're in, you're, you're in charge. You're important. I want you to send some men to Joppa, 30 miles south, and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with another Simon, Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. 
You get to see it. It's really cool. Keep going. And the following day, so, so I've skipped a part of the story, and all it is is he sends someone. He goes to Simon's house, and so we're here. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and they called them together, all the relatives and all the people, and it looks like a, probably like this in this room. So he's got all the people, all the cousins, Kiki and them, everybody's there, all right? Y'all okay? Everybody's there. And it says, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. And listen, we think that's funny, except for the fact that if the same thing happened to us, we'd have done the same thing. If Jesus sends an angel and he says, go to this city, send someone, have them come, they come, and it's just, right? But this is Peter's response. I love it. He says, hang on a second, man. He lifted him up and said, stand up. I'm a dude. I'm not something to worship. And we should take that literally and never worship people. I'll just keep going. And it says, and as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. So he looked around and said, oh, it's not just you. It's all these people too. Okay. These people, this is interesting. And it says, he said to all these people, to them, you know, it's unlawful for me who's a Jew to talk to you who's not a Jew. Because y'all are, Let me translate. Y'all are unclean, and I'm clean. I'm God's chosen, and you're God's unchosen. You bad, I'm good. Y'all look at me. How many of us feel that way about people that look different than us? You don't have to talk to me now because maybe people would think that you really agree with me about some people in your life. And if you need to stay silent, I can talk to me. But as I look at social media in this ninth hour, and I realize how divisive this day is, how politically divided we are, how media is this and media is that, and, and we have all these issues that we, that we get so bent out of shape and upset over, and I'm not saying don't have conviction. I'm not here to change your mind on that. What I'm saying is, what you are passionate about may not be the heart of God. That does not mean that God likes the things that you're against. It just means that that might not be the thing that's on God's heart more than anything else. And so when I make this above the kingdom, I have to be careful because I come in and sound a lot like Peter. Oh, you're unclean and I'm clean because I'm this and you're that. And so we got a problem. So I don't know what to do because they should be doing this and I should be doing this. I'm going to get ahead of myself, so I'm going to keep going. It says, says any person who's, I, I shouldn't call on any person that's common or unclean, so I shouldn't have come here based on what I know. Someone say, I know. I wonder how many times I've gotten myself in mistakes based on what I know. I want you to think about it. How many times have I put myself in harm's way based on what I know and not what God said? But God said, come and thank the Lord he did. And it says, so when I was sent for, I came without objection. And I asked them why. And Cornelius said, four days ago at the ninth hour, this hour I was praying at my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothes and said, Cornelius. And then he repeats, your prayers have been answered and your alms have been heard and it was remembered before God and He said, send therefore to Joppa and get Peter. And he was lodging, excuse me, in the tanner's house. And so I sent for you at once. And you've been kind enough to come. Now therefore, 
we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord to say. So interesting. And Peter opened his mouth and said, listen to these words. It's so powerful for this ninth hour for us today. Peter, who should have known. Why, Mark? Because Peter was the one that said, you're the Christ, the Son of God. Because Peter was the one that denied him, but Jesus brought him back in John 21 and said, do you love me? Go feed my sheep. Follow me. Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Even after the worst day, Peter was brought back. He had made mistake after mistake. He cut dude's ear off when Jesus was about to get arrested. Jesus put it back on. In that moment, you got to not hate anybody. That's crazy. Come on, somebody. Like, Peter, if anybody should have known, and yet he did not know. And at this moment, look at what he said. He said, truly, I understand that God chose no partiality. None. But in everyone, in every nation, in every person, in every tribe, in every, every color, every, everything, those who fear him and do what is right, he ex- is acceptable to him, which does not mean saved. It means that they have an opportunity then to trust him and follow him as Lord, Right? I find that this verse is where we are separated right now. Because our community even, even in this upstate of South Carolina, but also our state and our nation, we're divided politically, we're divided socially, and we're divided spiritually. What do you mean, Mark? I mean that if you just listen to people who are crying out, some of which are in anger and some of which are in hurt, But if you just listen to people, y'all look this way, if you just listen to people, they are passionate about the issues that are on their heart. I've been there in the past. It's not where I am as much today. Unless I feel burdened by the Holy Spirit that I'm supposed to speak on something, I try not to be political ever. Except to raise up a king, but we'll talk about that in just a second. (laughs) But let me show you the dividing lines. The dividing lines are many people are passionate about abortion, and by abortion I mean pro-life, or what is called pro-life, that they hate abortion, that they want abortion ended, that the choice is not a choice, that it's awful. Do y'all know, if you, I'm not asking if you're pro-life, I'm asking if you understand what I'm saying, say yes. yes. And we hear it, and we say it, and we, we put people's names on, and we talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, and then that is what I'm known for. Or, on the... Equal and opposite side, this is red, by the way, if you were wondering, and the blue, I'm passionate about justice and social justice and ending injustices and, 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 and ending racism, which is a real thing. And if anybody believes it's not, you've had your eyes closed for decades. And we want reform. And can I tell you all something? I feel passionate about both. That's why I feel so frustrated, because I've yet to find a candidate that I believe is, ever. I'm not talking about this presidential election. I'm talking about in my life. Ever. I just wanted like one cat to raise up and be like, that person's for that and that. That's amazing. They're actually pro-life. Woo. They're for the life before and they're for the life after. I'll keep going. Because this really isn't about that. You know, I felt this, this thing in my gut the other day. I heard this pastor in California who's famous. I'm not going to name his name. I don't dislike him. But I heard him say these exact words, quote, unquote. If a person does not, if a Christian, I'm sorry, let me get it right. If a Christian does not vote Republican, they can't be saved. Word for word. I thought, huh, that's an interesting statement. Considering 
92%, according to Pew Research, 92% of African-American Christians are going to vote Democrat this election season. So either only 8% of blacks that are saved are actually saved, or this cat has made Jesus an elephant. And that's not to say that, that I don't think the Republicans have some things right. It's just to say that I think that he's funneling his Jesus through his Republican glasses, his white Anglo-Saxon Republican glasses, which I'm not down on. I'm just saying that's not Jesus. We already discussed the fact that he wasn't that. Are you with me? So the question is, which side is Jesus on? I'm going to mess with some of y'all today because I think you think he's on your side. He loves you. But he doesn't have an agenda change in heaven sitting on the throne because you are passionate about what you're passionate about. I believe he makes some of you passionate on purpose for a reason. But I do not believe his passion is ever swayed on anything but to do what his father says. I'll show you an example. In Joshua chapter 5, Joshua has an encounter just outside of Jericho. It says, now Joshua was nearing Jericho and he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. And Joshua said, are you for us or for them? Because if you for them, we're going to lose. But if you for us, we're going to win. So which one are you for? Now, I need you to know, this is Jesus. Revelation chapter 19 says the commander of heaven's army is Jesus. That his name is the word of God. That his robe was dipped in blood. I could keep going. I could preach good on this, but I'm, I can't. Here we go. That's Jesus. Just so you know, if anyone asks you who's the commander of heaven's army, everybody needs to say it's Jesus. There we go. Not an angel. It's the king. It says I'm, not for, I'm for neither. Paul's. This isn't Republican Democrat. This is the Amalekites. They're the enemy. You're supposed to be for us. Come on, Holy Ghost. You've got to be mad at them and for me. You know what? I believe God was for them. But Jesus didn't say, I'm for you. Watch what Jesus said. I'm for whatever he's for. I came to speak what God told me to speak. He said it over and over while he was here. I don't speak what you want me to speak. I speak what my father tells me to speak. So he messed everybody up. Let me look in the camera. Jesus is not a Republican. I'm sorry. I know you're crying. You're mad at me. You probably won't talk to me anymore. But he's not a Democrat either. He's not independent. He's kingdom. I do whatever he tells me to do because he's the boss. Pick back up in Acts 10. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers from among them, that's the circumcised. These are the Jewish people that had trusted Jesus the Savior. Look at what their response was. Are you saying them people that they, all of those, can get saved? Yep. It says they were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had poured on them even on the, y'all say it out loud. Now, I don't know where you come from, and I don't know who are the people that you look at and you think that's them, but them can be us. And if them can't be us in your gospel, you need to come back to the altar and meet Jesus. Did you hear what I just said? I'm not kidding. This isn't a joke. This isn't meant to be funny. I'm for real. You've never really met King Jesus. You've met, you've met, European Jesus who fit in your mindset. 
Or you may be African Jesus who fit in your mindset. Or, 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 or maybe, maybe Hispanic Jesus who fit in your mindset. But he ain't any of them. He has a pure bloodline. It's not my bloodline and it's not your bloodline. It's his bloodline. He does not need my opinion. He does not need my permission. He does not need my vote. He needs my obedience and my willingness to say it's the ninth hour and maybe I've been wrong. Does that mean I'm not going to vote? No. Vote. I believe you should. It just means that doesn't supersede the kingdom. It means that that will never be what I'm more passionate about than what he tells me to be passionate about. And it means that we collectively can never let that be above what he's about. And I'm about to show you what he's about in just a second. But it says that the Holy Ghost poured on and, and they started speaking in tongues and it blew everybody's mind. And I think this is such a cool story. And I wish I could preach this part a little bit more because it would be really cool. It would be fun. But maybe we will in a couple weeks. We will. Can anyone withhold from water baptism these people? And look what Peter said. He, he commanded them in the name of Jesus. Okay, so obviously the Lord's come. So now it's time to get baptized. And some of y'all, let me say this. This isn't even the message. But I believe some of y'all are supposed to be a part of this body and a part of this house and a part of the kingdom of God. And the first commandment that we're supposed to do is repent and then be. So what you waiting on? We got clothes. Shannon already told you. Get baptized today. Get up. Stop being afraid. We, we got towels. We literally have clothes in the back. And I'll baptize you. And if no one comes, I ain't mad at you. But it's, the water's warm. And it's ready. And some of y'all need to obey and do it. Just like these Gentiles did. And I bet it looked like a room like this. I bet it was the coolest thing ever. And I bet Peter went home and thought, what has happened? Even them people who were beneath me, oops, can be even with me at the cross. So I'm going to close with this. How can we embrace the ninth hour as a church? How can the least lost and lonely, how can, how can this ninth hour of repentance, how is it possible? What is the ninth hour really about, Mark? And what do you think God wants us to do? Matthew chapter 27. This is so cool. Y'all remember what hour the sixth hour was? It was noon. Y'all remember that? Look what it says happened. This is Jesus in the crucifixion. It says now at the sixth hour, darkness came. And it stayed there until what hour? Huh. Most theologians believe he was put on the cross around 9 a.m. And he said it is finished like I'm about to read at the ninth hour, 3 p.m. And in that time, we had an exchange in the first three hours. And we had some of the words that Jesus said, but then at the noon hour... Y'all look this way at the noon hour, it got dark. Some people would argue maybe that was an eclipse, but I'm telling you, if y'all remember that really good eclipse we had a couple years ago, it didn't last three hours, did it? A few minutes and, or second, I don't remember how long it was, but it was amazing. This was a three hour that amazing. But, but what I'm here to tell you is that the moon didn't cover the sun, but the, the sun covered the sin. Did you hear what I said? The moon didn't cover the sun. The sun covered sin. As a matter of fact, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin. And I believe at the noon hours when he became sin. I believe that's why it became dark. 
I don't believe it just was a random happenstance. I believe it's because the weight of sin, every sin, every man, woman, child, the billions of sin, or the billions of sinners and all the billions upon billions of sins, he became. Why? So you didn't have to become anymore. So you didn't have to be. So that the exchange could be, you could be the righteousness of God. Which means from every background, every color, every nation, man and woman, every child, every person could be equal in the eyes of God. That my political party no longer matters in the ninth hour. Because I start understanding what happens here. Because he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you're not careful, you think that he thinks God really forsook him. But what he forsook was me and my sin and you and your sin but Jesus became it so that I was no longer forsaken I should be but now I'm not condemned and he felt the weight because God couldn't look at his sin but he wasn't mad at his dad he just felt the isolation that some of you feel every day without his dad through Jesus but I love this so much after he said why have you forsaken me it says Jesus cried out again with a voice yielding up his spirit into my hands, I commit your spirit. And then it says, the curtain was torn in two, which not only means you and I can go into the presence, but even the Jewish people didn't have an access into the presence of God now. And what we were stirred with at the beginning of the message is only possible because of the ninth hour. Here's what I believe. Here's what I really believe. Y'all look at me. I really believe that from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, metaphorically, that it's dark, that it's hopeless, that we don't know where to look. And this country and this world has felt dark. We've even had a pandemic in this year, and it's crazy. But I don't believe that scares God. But right after the earthquake happened, right after the rock tore and, and the, the rocks split apart, right after all of this, guess what came back? The light. Because the sun penetrated through all that death and defeated death in an instant. And it was no longer the fact that I had to wander hopelessly hoping that I could see my way through the darkness, but I realized that darkness was defeated in that moment. So even though it looks incredibly dark, we all have said this quote, the day is darkest before the dawn and it's dawn season it's the ninth hour it's time for some people to stand up and say I'm not about Republican I'm not about Democrat I'm about kingdom I'm about what he says I'm about I'll stop making my political party more important than the king we will never reach the least lost and lonely I'm telling you I believe God's put an anointing on this house and, and, and partnering with houses, all churches all across the world, that tens of thousands of people, even right here, are going to get saved. But I do not think it's ever going to happen if my agenda supersedes his agenda. That does not mean God didn't give you a voice, and it does not mean God didn't give you an opinion, and you're welcome to it, and go for it. But I'm telling you, don't ever let that be higher than Jesus. What kills racism is the cross. What kills abortion and people wanting to have them is not your opinion. But it's the cross. And what kills all the other hate and all the other insecurities and all the other death that's all around us is not just thinking better and trying harder. It's the cross of Jesus. And at the moment that I'll let the cross change me, I'll begin to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, change those that are around me. But until it becomes the ninth hour in here, I better not expect it to be the one out there. Someone say it's the ninth hour. I believe it, y'all. I believe it. I believe it's the hour of repentance. I believe it's the hour of redemption. And I believe the hour has come to four points collectively right here and right now. 
and he's drawing people to himself. And some of y'all really do need to do this. And if you want to, I just want you to stand up right now. Is everybody looking? Yeah, but they're going to look when I'm dunking you too, so you might as well do it. Right? Who needs to be a part? Come on. Stand to your feet. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. Stand to your feet. Come on. Who else? Hey, go ahead and walk to the back. They're going to help you. We already got one, so you might as well join the party. Y'all get up off your feet, and let's do it right now. Y'all got time to get changed while they, y'all can come on up. While they're singing, y'all got time to change. So who needs to be a part of the body of this house? Because you're already a part of the body in Jesus, and now you need to get baptized. Anybody else? I'm going to give you a second. Anybody else? Anybody else? All right, here's your invitation. During this song, y'all, this refiner song, oh, my word, it's so good. Mm, so good. Can I tell you who I hope he refines? Mark Pangle. I want that dross to come to the top so the refiner can clean it off so that when he looks at me, he doesn't see Mark H. Pangle. He sees Jesus of Nazareth. That it's a reflection of the king. I'm telling you, people's lives will change when people can see me and they go, he was nice and he should have been hateful. He disagrees with me completely politically, but he loves me anyway because he didn't make it about a donkey and he didn't make it about an elephant. He made it about a king. So y'all just stand to your feet with me. Let's worship Jesus and ask him, the refiner, to refine us. Do it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.